Chapter Eleven of Smuggler's Reef by John Blaine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Eleven, The Hearing. You two have certainly got your nerve going back to Seaford after that," Jerry Webster said. "We'll stay away from the Kelsos and Brad Marbeck. Don't worry about that," Rick assured him. "But we're not giving up, are we, Scotty?" "Not in your life." scotty replied flatly jerry's car bounced over salt creek bridge and sped toward the seaford turnoff the boys had phoned him early in the morning and found that he had learned about tom tyler's hearing during his routine phone calls to the seaford authorities and that he was going down to cover it they had met him at the whiteside dock and on the way down had brought him up to date on their part of the case including their humiliating experience of the night before so your theory about smuggling must be wrong jerry said otherwise you'd have found something i'm not convinced rick argued it's still the only answer that fits then where were the smuggled goods we could have gotten there too late scotty reminded if it was a small shipment it could have been unloaded and disposed of before we showed up disposed of how jerry wanted to know Rick recalled that he had heard the sound of oars while in the cabin. Red and Brad had rushed out right away, too, after hearing a hail. They might have taken the stuff up the creek, he mused. They might even have had a truck waiting at the bridge. There's not much traffic, so it wouldn't be too great a risk. And even if a car came, they could pretend the truck was changing a tire or something until it passed. That's reasonable, Jerry admitted. Did you talk it over with Captain Mike? Rick grinned ruefully at the memory of the two soaked, bedraggled, filthy specimens who had knocked on Captain Mike's door last night. We were in no mood even to think about it, he said, but we did find out one thing. Captain Mike said it would be easy for anyone to disconnect Smuggler's Light and then reconnect it. All he would need would be an insulated screwdriver. And that's not all, Scotty added. He said Tom Tyler was first one back from the fishing grounds eight times out of ten because the Sea Bell was the fastest boat in the fleet and the best handled. The more Rick thought about it, the more he was convinced that his theory of the wrecking of the trawler would hold water. Captain Mike had plugged up another hole, too. Rick had wondered about the backside of the light. He had noticed that there was a red sector on the town side, a common method of construction on lights of that sort. On Captain Mike's chart, shaded areas showed how the light worked. It was visible from the seaside in an arc of 180 degrees. It was dark in the quadrant toward the marsh and red in the quadrant toward the town. But warehouses and pier sheds blocked off the light from almost all of the town except Million Dollar Row, and since the red portion would be out for only a short time, it was long odds against anyone noticing it or investigating if they did. It's pretty sound, Rick said. Only I wonder if we'll ever prove it. Not in time for this morning's hearing, that's for sure, Scotty commented. Maybe Captain Killian will have something to say, if he ever gets back. 
Cap'n Mike had tried unsuccessfully last night to see Jim Killian. He was still visiting his mother. Jerry's car rolled down the main street of Seaford toward the town hall. Rick could see that an unusual number of cars was lined up along the curbs. The hearing was attracting a great deal of interest, as could have been expected. He wondered if the Kelsos would be there. Jerry pulled into a convenience parking space. As they got out, he asked Rick, Got your camera? Rick held it up. We've got our press cards, too. That makes us legal spectators for a change. For a change is right, Scotty said. Lead the way, Jerry. The hearing room was on the second floor. Jerry pushed his way through the crowd in the corridor, with Rick and Scotty following, and found the entrance. A police officer stopped them at the door, then permitted them to enter when they showed their press cards. Rick wondered if the hearing would be closed to the public, but when he got inside, he saw that every seat was taken. He recognized a face here and there, including that of Bill Lake. The others he recognized were fishermen he had seen during their trip to the pier with Captain Mike. Evidently, some of them were taking the day off because of the hearing. The room was actually a small courtroom. Like most courtrooms, it had a low fence dividing the spectators from the participants. At a table inside the fence, Tom Tyler was seated with four other men. Rick guessed from their appearance that they must be the members of his crew. One had an arm in a sling, and he remembered Captain Mike had said the wreck had caused one broken arm. Jerry spoke to a man who seemed to be someone of authority, and they were directed to seats in the front row. Across the aisle, Rick saw Mrs. Tyler and the little girl who had been with her on that first night. The captain's wife looked pale, but she seemed composed. Then he switched his glance to the captain himself. Tom Tyler seemed thinner in the few days since the wreck of his ship. He stared at the table before him, seemingly oblivious to the murmur of voices in the room. Rick felt compassion for him. If the theory proved correct, Tom Tyler was the victim of unscrupulous men who had wrecked his ship deliberately just to remove danger from their path. He speculated about what might have caused the actual decision to wreck the sea bell. There was only one sensible conclusion. Captain Tyler must have used the trawler to spy on Brad Marbeck. Wrecking the ship would serve a double purpose. It would remove the possibility of further spying on Brad, and it would warn Tyler that the smugglers meant business. After that, simply telling him that his family would suffer if he kept on would strike home. Until the wreck, he probably had been inclined to treat Kelso's warning lightly. A door to the left of the judge's rostrum opened, and three men came out. One was a Coast Guard commander. The other two were civilians. A whisper from Jerry informed Rick that they were officers of the United States Maritime Commission. Rick turned to see if the Kelsos or Brad Marbeck were in the room. He was curious about Captain Mike, too. While he was searching the rows of faces, the procedure started. A clerk got up and announced something about the hearing before the duly authorized board of inquiry in the case of the wrecking on Smuggler's Reef of the motor vessel Seabell of so many tons and such and such a registry number. Thomas Lee Tyler, master, 
holding licenses numbers so and so jerry nudged rick and pointed to the camera rick nodded and inserted a flashbulb he caught the clerk's eye and held up the camera the clerk frowned then motioned him to come inside the rail rick did so and snapped a picture of the tribunal then he turned and got a photo of tom tyler and the men at his table with the audience in the background he looked at jerry the young reporter nodded indicating that two pictures would be enough rick resumed his seat the middleman on the platform leaned over and asked who is representing captain tyler tom tyler stood up no one sir a murmur ran through the courtroom captain the man asked do you mean you have come into this hearing without counsel sir i'm pleading guilty to whatever the charge is i don't need a lawyer for that tyler sat down again there was whispered consultation among the three on the bench then the spokesman leaned forward again captain as i understand the facts presented by the officers who investigated if you plead guilty you will in effect state that you deliberately wrecked your ship if you so state your insurance company will have no recourse but to ask your arrest on a charge of barratry do you understand that tyler's shoulders straightened if that's the way it is sir i guess that's the way it is i'm pleading guilty the murmur in the court rose rick leaned over to jerry he's scared stiff he must be to take this lying down but if the kelsos had threatened mrs tyler and their little girl there wasn't much else he could do wrecking the trawler had shown him they were capable of carrying out any threat rick was glad he had had presence of mind the night before to say that other people knew he and scotty were going to creek house he was sure that had the kelsos and brad thought that no one else knew their fate would have been much different a hand fell on his shoulder he looked up into the face of the officer who had been at the door you rick brant he nodded captain mike is outside says it's urgent he wants you and don scott we'll come right away rick said he leaned over and explained to jerry we'll meet you outside come on scotty as quietly as possible he and scotty left the room just as the spokesman for the board declared that the hearing would proceed captain mike was on the steps in front of the town hall his weathered face lit up at the sight of the boys and he greeted them with a note of worry in his voice come on down to the sidewalk out of earshot of these folks he said in a low tone they followed him to a place where the crowd thinned out then rick asked what's the matter cap'n anything important come up important i'll say it's important cap'n mike leaned forward jim killian has disappeared End of chapter 11